0: right, the uh, message that we had this morning was taken from the Proverbs. You remember that? It was Proverbs, what, 16 we were in? So for tonight, let's turn to Psalm 35. Psalm 35, and we'll read verses 9 and 10. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him, yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. Uh, Verse 9, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. Let's bow our heads. Father, again we bow and thank you for giving us this allotted hour of time to read thy word, to talk about salvation, to talk about eternity, to talk about our souls, the most important thing to each and every one of us, and we pray tonight for our young folks as well as the old folks, that thy spirit will be the teacher of our hearts. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. David, always asking the Lord for mercy, always thanking the Lord for deliverances, and when he says about his soul being joyful in the Lord, what would we be joyful about? The salvation that he gives to us. You see, life has its ups and downs. There's joyful moments and there's sorrowful moments. A joyful time, let's say, like at a wedding. A sorrowful time at a funeral. There's a joyful time at the birth of a baby. A joyful time when that little one has grown up and graduates from school. So there's a number of joyful times in life but without their soul being able to rejoice or even to know what soul rejoicing is all about. Now, there's a joy of the world the same as there's a sorrow of the world. Where do we read about sorrow of the world? We'll look at 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10. It's on page 17.05. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Okay, sorrow of the world. Cry your eyes out because you lost your mom maybe, or your dad, or um, maybe your job. Could have even, in these days and times, lose your house. Or you may have lost a a child or a spouse. You can weep so much that you can break your health down and even cause you to die. But what's accomplished? Nothing. You quit breathing and you wake up in hell. You ask, what is godly sorrow? Well, it's a sincere hatred in your heart for your sin, for your sinful nature and you find yourself mourning over your sinful conduct toward Christ, even after in the gospel of Christ, he has invited you to come to him. That can't help but make the soul sorrowful. And mark it down, this takes place before the soul can ever be joyful in the Lord. Well, are these the only two stages of the soul, sorrowful and joyful? Well, these two stages are the two blessed stages of the soul, but there's a stage that you are born with that has neither sorrow nor joy, and it's the sorrow of the natural man. It's very much alive to the sorrows and joys of the world, but it's actually dead to spiritual things, dead and buried in trespasses and sins. Look at Ephes- Ephesians 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead, and trespasses and sins. Now, this is Paul writing. And he uh, very, very uh, openly, very, very sincerely it wants to show people what they are by nature. So we stay in that same chapter, chapter 2 of Ephesians, and look at verse 3, and then 12, and then 13. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So it's the natural thing for natural people to be under the wrath of God. Verse uh, 12 down there in the bottom of the page, that at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now... In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now go to the fourth chapter and go to verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in a vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. What understanding? The understanding of spiritual things. They could care less about it. But there are many, many geniuses with their minds in the world that invent things, and you and I are living in a time when there's never been so many fantastic things invented by man. So uh, it's their spiritual understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You see, Paul really getting on a a roll here. Now that's a normal, healthy soul going on in life, either wealthy or poor. Uh, That's a normal person. He or she doesn't know soul happiness. But at the same time, they don't know real sorrow of the soul either. Happiness is, uh, please the flesh and the mind, like we read before, or else cry because something sad happened in your life. That's the sorrow of the world that normal people know. Now, up to this point in life, you did not have serious thoughts about spiritual things. Why was that? because of 1 Corinthians 2.14. I am so glad that Paul put that in here because this is what we observe. This is what, looking back through decades, through many, many years, we see this is exactly the truth. Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Well, it's here, then, where God interferes into your life. He may do it different with every soul. I mean, as far as providence is concerned. Something you read, maybe. Something you heard. Something you saw, like a dead body or at a funeral. But something as mysterious as the wind regenerates your soul, and from then on, you will never be the same. But how does the scripture describe that? Look at John 3 and verse 8. John 3 and verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, and so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Absolutely mysterious. It's phenomenal. It's a rarity. And it's the most blessed thing that can happen to anybody. Our Lord says that that's what being born again is. Now for a moment, let's go back to the reason why God interfered into your life and not the life of everyone else, or even possibly even of your husband or wife or anybody in the family. God works by a very carefully laid out plan. The Bible calls it a covenant. It's an eternal plan that is made in eternity past before anything else was created. Or let's say before time began. So we go to the same scriptures almost every time we preach, and they're always there. And we're going to look at Second Timothy one nine which reads We who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. This Calling is what I just described as God interfering into your life. But according, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before the world began, that's right. Well, didn't I say it was a covenant also? Well, look at Hebrews 13 20. Hebrews 13 20. the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant how about that you know what everlasting means it means eternal so that's when God the spirit regenerates the soul it's the beginning of a drawing of that soul to God for reconciliation reconciliation Where's our first mention of drawing? Well, let's go to Jeremiah 31 3. Jeremiah 31 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So, the persons even being interested, or beginning to be interested in the things of eternity, is God beginning to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, when our Lord walked here on earth and was preaching, He emphasized that drawing in John six forty four. So, let's look at John six thirty forty four. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So our Lord is confirming what Jeremiah said, that with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Is this when the soul is joyful before the Lord, as David said in our Psalms? Well, to many people it is. They receive the gospel with joy because they are told by their pastors and friends that if you just believe, you are saved. Trust Jesus now and learn about him later. See, that's not going to work, but that's what they tell you today. Hell will be loaded with people who did just exactly that. That's part of a social gospel where everyone is okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Let me show you how our Lord taught how these people will turn out. That's going to be in Matthew thirteen verse twenty. Matthew thirteen twenty. But he that receives seed in a stony place is the same as he that heareth the word. And an eye with joy received it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. See, the word's still going to do its convicting work. By and by he's offended. Uh, That's how these that hear the gospel and say, Hey, I like that. I'd like to go to heaven instead of going to hell. Remember I said the beginning of a drawing of that soul to God for reconciliation. Now that's a little point missed by a lot of religious people. Reconciliation means there's been a difference between two parties. In our case, we have offended our holy God and Creator by our sins. There is a seven, uh, there's a sworn rule as well as a written rule that says any soul that sins, it shall die. Look at Ezekiel 18.4. Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth it shall die. Now, if that's the holy justice of God, how do you get back on his good side? In other words, how is reconciliation possible? It is made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ as our substitute, or in our place, keeping God's rules perfectly, and then shedding his sinless blood to pay for our sins. Uh, that's described in second Corinthians 5:18 and 19. 2 Corinthians 5:18 and 19. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, in other words, what I'm saying is that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Someone may ask, well, why doesn't that make a person joyful as soon as they hear it? Well, you see, the natural heart doesn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear about sins. They don't want to hear about punishment of sin. It doesn't want to bow to a substitute. It doesn't want to be guilty. These are all normal resistances in a normal person. But look at Romans three verse nineteen. Romans three nineteen. Now we know that what things soever the law saith It saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now, when we talk about all the world, we could include everybody in the world here because they are guilty. No matter what nation they're in, what continent they live on, what language they speak, what color they are, they are guilty guilty of being a sinner and a lawbreaker uh, it even goes deeper than just a sinner saying I'm guilty of sinning if Christ died for you that means that you are the reason for his terrible sufferings and death that's part of the learning process that's the Holy Spirit reproving of sin this is the work of the Holy Spirit John 168. John 168 everybody has their own idea of what the Holy Spirit does and the Bible tells us what he does and it has nothing to do with you falling out and having hot flashes and have a good warm feeling it, the Bible tells us it's a reproving work it's John 16 and verse 8 when he is come he'll reprove the world of sin. Righteousness and judgment. And how often we've gone over those three things and told you what they mean. Well, you see, when our Lord Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for they testify of me, that searching will bring up other important things too, one of which is God's hatred of sin. Common bumper sticker, smile, God loves you, is the devil's lie to the natural man. That natural man is a sinner who loves his sin, and that's John 3.19. And God not only does not love him, but God hates him. Now you see the, another bumper sticker, uh, God uh, hates sin, but he loves the sinner. That's not what the Bible says. If you go to Psalm 5.5, 5, Psalm 5.5, 5, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Across the page to Psalm 711, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. But most people never search the scriptures. Our Lord instructed them to do that. Look at uh, John 539. John 539. Lord's preaching here says search the scriptures which happened to be just the Old Testament at that time for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me you find me and there you will find eternal life that's what the scriptures are all about heaven hell life and death eternity for everybody one place or the other of course the Lord knowing the natural man, says in verse 40, and you will not come to me that you might have life. you go to the scriptures, you go to Moses, but you won't be looking for me and you won't find me because you don't want to. You will not come to me that you might have life. So, uh, most people have what? A bumper sticker religion. Blind faith and a blind God that that they think they know. They laugh, they sing, they shout, they pass out tracks, spend most of their time watching TV. They were never made sorry for their soul. A sorrow that turned their heart from the world and self and looked to God's Son as their only hope in this life and in a life to come. That's the Lord that David is talking about. He said his soul was joyful in the Lord. Who is the Lord? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. His soul rejoiced in a salvation accomplished by the God-man Jesus Christ. His soul felt blessed. Uh, look at Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. And I love this one myself. This is so wonderfully, simply explained. It's on page 885, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Most people have some guile in their life. When the Holy Spirit indwells a believer, those things are supposed to go. And Paul tells us about that, about uh, those that steal, don't steal anymore, to work, to uh, be looking out for your brother in Christ rather than for yourself. But the Lord does not charge the individual believer with their own sin. That sin has been laid on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can't figure that out. You can't reason it. I mean, it's way beyond comprehension that all of our sin, past, present, and future, had been laid on Christ when he went to Calvary's cross. That's the greatness of our God. And then his keeping the law perfectly and then suffering in the place of the sinner earned him a perfect righteousness as a person in a body. And because he is God, he can give that to everyone that the Father gave him. We have a fantastic, wonderful salvation. So... David's sin was covered by the blood of the Lamb of God, just the way ours is. We're covered. Is a good word uh, in John, uh, in or rather in Revelation one and verse five. It says we're washed from our sins in His own blood. Let's look at that Revelation one five. And if you don't have it underlined or have it marked a little bit, maybe you should revelation 1 5 and from jesus christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood is that some kind of powerful blood you better believe it is you see, that was just part of the sorrow that came before the joy. Our sins earned, earned us a place in hell, and that hangs heavy over the head of an awakened sinner. But now to know that your sins are forgiven, because paid for by another. Yes, that is what makes the soul joyful in the Lord. And how about Romans 8.1? It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, when the Lord, through the Scriptures, taught my heart that I was a condemned criminal, and that's John three eighteen. We read that every time we get together. Uh, we're talking about those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are not condemned, but those that believe not are condemned already. That's John 3.18, and it goes home to the heart of every one of God's people. I look desperately to the only one who promised to give a pardon if I sought it with all my heart. Does the Bible say you have to do that? Well, let's look at Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Jeremiah 29, 13. Page 1159. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? Well, it's very, very difficult for a normal person, even an awakened sinner, to get all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his hopes, all of his ambition. Behind the seeking of God in the Lord Jesus Christ because we're taught how to find God how to come to God is through Christ so the sinner will carry his ball and chain with him and then the Lord said that uh, you really have nothing to bring but your sins and uh, your garments your garments smell of sin they're prison garments and then the sinner will say to my amazement he set me free and clothed me with the best robe and you know that's part of that parable of the prodigal son first thing the father says bring forth the best robe and put it on him who puts it on well the father didn't he called the servants to do that And uh, that's kind of interesting in itself. But that's how a person can rejoice in God's salvation. Their sins are forgiven. Their garments are changed. They're washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're cleansed by His blood. I know when I was dead, and I know when I was lost, And I also know when I was made alive. I know when I was found. Salvation is the only issue worth talking about in the world. Salvation is greater than our owning the world. Oh, is it? Look at Mark 8, verse 36 and 37. Mark 8, 36 and 37. page 1476 verse 37 there or what shall a man give in exchange well let's read 36 too for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul that's going to the very extremes isn't it the whole world not just Terrebonne Parish Louisiana Southern states, United States, North America, South America, the whole world. You might feel you were rich for a few moments in time, but when you lost your soul, you lose everything. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And uh, that's what happens. What any one thing in the world can be better than eternal life? And who can be richer than being a joint heir with Christ? That's Romans 8, verse 17. Romans 8, verse 17. It's on page 1665. Now who can say anything against you? I mean that all will stick... Because you belong to God, and He is the one who sees you perfect in His eyes. Let's read Romans eight. Uh, Romans eight seventeen. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. But stay in that same chapter of Romans and look at verse thirty three. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. If God is on your side, there's nothing anybody can say or do to you to hurt you. Uh, you might even lose your life, but you have an eternal life ahead of you. Now, David's heart was joyful in the Lord because of his salvation. That is, the salvation of Christ Christ. The Lord Jesus invites sinners to come to Him. To those who feel their need of a Savior, He says, I will sup with you. Look at Revelation 3 and verse 20. Even to the very end of the book, and book of Revelation, the Lord is inviting sinners to come to Him. Verse 19, chapter 3, As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. Well, that's a strange way to show love, at least from the human side, because when you love somebody, you pamper them. You do everything under the sun to make them happy, make them feel good, never to rebuke or chasten them. But you see, sinners need that to get to Christ. He says, Be zealous, therefore repent. I and mean, if you don't repent, you'll never come to Christ asking for mercy. So he has to rebuke and he has to chasten to get us down to the place where we will look to him for mercy. He says, I'll come to you. And that's the same as in Luke 19.10, which says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost, but let's read. Here's our last scriptures, Romans 15, verses 9 through 13. Romans 15, 9 through 13. On page 1674, verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. You see, we're Gentiles. We're told to rejoice in the Lord. We're told to to uh, laud him, praise him. Uh, Verse 12, uh, And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13, For the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And our prayer tonight is that all of our people, even the ones that don't know the Lord, that the Lord will get a hold of their heart and cause them to have joy in their hearts and rejoicing in their salvation. If they don't know about their salvation, they'll never rejoice in it. And, uh, I guess we've just got to praise Him and thank Him for dealing with our heart, with our soul, as much as we love people in our families. And with, I, We can't do anything for them if God doesn't move their heart. So He's got to move our heart, first of all, to pray for them, then He's got to move them. And once God interferes in the world, you don't have to worry about them. They shall come. Let's bow our heads Father, we thank you and praise you tonight for thy goodness, mercy, and grace in teaching us about the Lord Jesus Christ and how important it is for us as individuals to know that we need a substitute. We need the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. We need to have mercy from him. We need to have our sins forgiven. We need to have eternal life bestowed upon us. Lord, it's all Thy work, and we pray that Thou will work in each and every one of our hearts to draw us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.